I was learning a little more this weekend about Alexa. You guys are aware of Alexa, Amazon's voice-commanded, controlled, personal, virtual assistant. You tell Alexa what to do for you, and she does it. And I learned that Alexa will actually read bedtime stories to your kids. And call me old-fashioned, I just think parents should read bedtime stories to their kids. That's just me. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm... A fuddy-duddy. Galatians chapter 6, if you would turn there, and that cue, that, that number 6, should probably give you an indication, Galatians 6, that we're wrapping up our series uh, called Be Free as we've looked at the pure, the true gospel, and how it frees us. It's not constraining or stifling, as many conclude. Religion does that, but following Jesus is, uh, allows a human spirit, a life to flourish and a spirit to soar. And we've said that a life turned inward is a life held back. And Galatians points us upward and outward And we, as we follow Jesus. Galatians chapter 6. I'm going to read. It's not on the screen. I'm going to read verses uh, 7 to 10. Actually, verse 6 through 10 because it greatly benefits the preacher. In fact, why don't you all just say amen out loud after verse 6, okay? Uh, and I'm going to watch and see who does. Verse 6, Galatians 6, 6 to 10. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Yeah, do not be deceived, that's so self-serving, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are the household of faith. I want us this morning to hone in on that verse that tells us, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For you, you and I, we reap what we sow. That's kind of a a three-part verse there. Do not be deceived. Let me ask you this morning as we begin, how many of you like to be lied to? We live in a culture, as we painfully know, where athletes bend the rules and advertisers distort their claims and journalists slant the news. A young boy sobs to his mother that dad promised. He promised that he would change. A spouse cries to a friend. He said he would stop cheating and lying. In a work environment, staff gather and bemoan the fact that they can't trust their leader or someone on the team. Let's just agree that truth is valuable. And scripture tells us many times in many ways just how valuable truth is. And you know it. You know it intuitively. Some of you know it painfully. We can also know it joyfully. This whole idea, you reap what you sow. Like, doesn't that cause some pain? Like, ugh. You reap what you sow. Ugh. That hurts. Like, it could be one of those nudge days, you know, where you nudge the person that you came with, that maybe you live with, that knows you really well, that you know well. Yet, you reap what you sow, but you reap what you sow. What it can be painful can also be joyful. Now, you got to let the word today fall where it's going to fall, okay? We can just agree on that. It's going to fall where it's going to fall. But uh, look, truth, it matters, and it's valuable to us. The psalmist prayed in Psalm 51, God, you desire truth in the innermost parts. You can see the contrast there. Like outwardly, I can manipulate you. Outwardly, I can think, make you think something about me. 
that is not true, but God desires truth in the innermost part. Those are the people that have the gift of peace. Those are the people among us who can sleep better at night because they realize God values truth in the innermost part. Scripture tells us that we can suppress truth, Romans 1.18. We can, we, can, we can exchange the truth of God for a lie, Romans 1.25. We can deny it, James 3.14. We can ignore it, 2 Timothy 4.4. 4. We can wander from it, James 5.19. But 2 Thessalonians 2.13 tells us we can believe it. 1 Peter 1.22 tells us we can walk in it. 2 John 4 says the same thing. I have no greater joy that my children what walk in the truth. God values truth. No one wants to be lied to, but the implications here are very clear. Do not be deceived. What are the implications? You can be deceived. So who deceives you? I don't want you to dig up anything necessarily now because I want you to hear the sermon in the, the least painful way possible. But who has deceived you? How can you... Be so deceived. Scripture teaches us, and I believe it. Man, I believe it. I've talked to you, some of you, before about my periods of doubt, my, my seasons of belief, and how I vacillated and struggled with some things. But now, more clearly than ever, I believe that we are in a spiritual battle. I believe there are unfor, unforeseen, unseen, invisible, powerful forces. In 2 Corinthians eleven three, 3, Paul, the same writer, tells us about how we can be deceived. And he says there's the deceiver. And he says, I am afraid just as the serpent deceived Eve, so you will be deceived. Your mind will be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of devotion in Christ. Your mind can be led astray by the deceiver. He's real and he's powerful. There is a deceiver and then there are those who deceive us. Paul would tell Timothy, there are evildoers and they're impostors. And they, they go from bad to worse and they, they are deceiving and they are being deceived. Romans 16, 18 talks about this very reality of being deceived and how through cunning there are people with smooth talk and flattery. They deceive those with naive minds. It happens in religion. It happens with politics and ideology. Ideological endeavors, we can, if we're naive, we can be deceived. There is a deceiver and there are those who deceive, okay? We kind of get that a lot of times in a lot of ways. But listen to this. There are times, so many times, when you are the deceiver. Could it be that you are both the deceived and the deceiver? That's where it gets complicated but very real. 1 John 1.8 says that if we say we have no sin or we do not sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. James chapter 1 tells us that if we just listen to the word, we deceive ourselves if we don't do it. Same chapter, James 1 verse 26. Our religion is worthless if, and we deceive ourselves if we don't control our tongue. If we, if we don't put a tight rein on our tongue, we deceive ourselves. Often, I've told my kids in the past, as they've been growing up, and man, are they growing up? But I've told my kids individually, of course, and usually privately, I've said this I, I love your heart. I see your heart. When you did this, I saw your heart. I love your heart. And I do. That's so true. 
But Jeremiah, I preach this often because it's just, it's just real and before us in our world today. It says that your heart is deceitful above all else. You can't just follow your heart in life because it will lead you astray in many ways. It'll, it, it'll allow you to turn away from the path that God intended. Your heart can be so deceitful. No one wants to be lied to. There is a deceiver. There are those who do deceive. Smooth talk and flattery. We get tricked. We get hoodwinked. But we, we deceive ourselves by saying that we don't have sin, by not being sensitive to that, to the work that God is doing in us, to the people that he desires us to become. And we play games and we become cavalier and casual about stuff in us, actions and attitudes that don't please him. And in doing that, the truth is not in us. We deceive ourselves. When we hear the word, we are familiar with it, but it doesn't become a fact in our, a factor of our experience. We're deceiving ourselves. We're just listening. Remember that video went viral, the little boy talking to his mom. Listen, listen, Linda, listen. Anybody remember that? Am I all alone? Linda, listen, listen, listen. A cute little boy about that. He's looking up to his mom. Listen, listen, Linda. Apparently calling his mom by her first name, you know. Susan and I do that sometimes around the house. Videos years ago. We're like, listen, listen, listen. And it's so good to listen. If you're married, it's really good to listen. But we got to do more than listen. we got to do something about what we hear. And if you're not... You're deceiving yourself. You have a familiarity of faith and spirituality and religion, but you're deceiving yourself. It's not a real part of your life. You're not doing something about it. We deceive ourselves. And so here Paul is saying at the end of Galatians, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. Now we can mock God. We can, and there are scriptures that indicate that, and you can just look around and you can see where God is mocked. But Paul is talking about ultimately and eventually what God says is true. Here's the Greek word that he uses in this text in Galatians 6 for deceived. It's this word, plainow. And plainow is translated into the English. It's where we get our word planets. And the ancient Greeks, they, they would often navigate themselves by the stars. And they concluded that some of the stars were wayward. Some of the stars would wander and lead them off their path. And here Paul, I think, is indicating to us that through this word, there's this idea that we let moving circumstances deceive us into what he has made fixed and true in the universe. And what is fixed and true in the universe is what I want to preach to you today. That you reap, I reap what we sow. So, in talking about this this morning, I want to give four quick points about you reap what you sow. And the first is, you are not an exception. Now, if you do anything exceptional, maybe it's your trade, your craft, your work, a hobby, a talent that you have. Maybe you've heard it and you've gotten the feedback and you are exceptional at what you do. Praise God, that's a gift. He gifts people, and you could be exceptional at something, but you are not the exception. And I want to tell you, look at what Proverbs 26, 27 tells us. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it. If someone rolls a stone, it will roll back on them. And we live our lives. As a pastor, I talk to many folks who dig the pit, who roll the stone, 
And they're surprised when they fall in. Or they're surprised when the stone rolls back on them. It's a fixed thing. It's not a moving, shifting planet that you struggle to navigate. It's a fixed reference point. You reap what you sow. And you are not an exception. It's a real thing. A very real thing. There are principles in the wisdom literature of the Bible. They are general principles. And there are some exceptions. But we err and we deceive ourselves when we think that we are the exception. That we can dig the pit and not fall in. That we can roll the stone and not have it roll on us. You are not the exception. You reap what you sow. The second thing I want to say to you about that is you're not, you're, you're not the exception. And also that life is connected. It's connected. Where you are today is a result of decisions you made yesterday. Where you'll be tomorrow is strongly connected to what you do today. There is a a proverb, not in the Bible proverb, but a proverb from a distant land, a different culture. And it says, the best day to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best day to plant a tree is today. And so, if God digs something up in you this morning as you hear this, as you think about this fixed principle in the universe... Know that. Know that God can do something in you if you start today. Today's the day of salvation, the scripture teaches us. Today, if you hear his voice, be obedient. Do not harden your heart today. Yes, you probably wish you'd have planted that tree 20 years ago. Because life is connected. Where you are today is a result of decisions you made yesterday. And where you'll be tomorrow is strongly connected to what you do today. Life is connected. The people that clue in, the people that get dialed in early realize life is connected. It really is. I mean, we're learning this in science, in weather, and climate, and culture. Life is connected. Today, yesterday, tomorrow. What you plant, what you sow. The third thing I want to say, consequences are real. Consequences are real. Paul doesn't say this And you need to hear this. It's a hard truth that may not come across well. But look, Paul doesn't say, you'll reap what you sow unless you ask for forgiveness. And what I know in life, what I know that the scripture teaches, character after character, I can tell you, life after life, and I know it from my own life, is that you can be forgiven. In fact, forgiveness If the heart is broken, if the heart is contrite, if it's a humble heart with a bended knee crying out to God, forgiveness offers you a clean slate, a new beginning, a fresh start, bam, just like that. But guess what? You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow, and there can be consequences. And that's important to realize. You're not an exception to this rule. Life is connected consequences are real. And the fourth thing I want to say to you this morning is appetite is strong. You and I are a bundle of appetite. I've said recently that as Jesus teaches, he teaches, he doesn't use so much words like doctrine and theology. He talks about a hunger and a thirst. And you have an appetite. I've changed my diet a little bit lately. I've watched some of you. I've been inspired by a couple of you. I've seen a couple of you fall off the wagon. I'm open to be better than you. 
but you've done your thing, you've done your whole 30, you've done this, right? And you know when you fast or you deny yourself something, you realize, wow, this was really strong in me. It's the power of fasting. We don't preach it enough. We probably need to do a series on prayer and fasting, I sense. When you fast, you're denying yourself something, and it's really when you deny yourself that something it, with the refining and the humbling and the testing and the freeing enter into that space, and you realize, wow, I was really, really drawn by this. Like this was a driver in my life. And appetite is a very real thing, and it, it guides us. Paul would say at one point in Timothy that their God, those who aren't following, those who are rebelling, those who think they're the exception, that they can sow this and not reap this. Those people, it says, he says their, their God is their stomach. They're just following their fleshly appetites. James 1 says this, that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. But we, we think, we think that we can be angry and bitter, that we can be grouchy, and irritable, that we can be bossy and rude and quick-tempered and just a grade A jerk. And that we can get away with it. That there won't be consequences to it. And those insecurities within us, those appetites, those things that form us, they can go deep. And what I know is, as I have interacted with some of you this week, and we've seen some Christian leaders get exposed and get in trouble and go through difficulty and bring some shame and reproach on their churches and their families. I know that appetite is something we need to talk more about as followers of Jesus and as Christian leaders. We need to move our lives out of the darkness and into the light and talk more candidly about our desires and what drives us. And I know this about appetite, about habits, about things that are deeply rooted. It's one of my primary motivators to not sin. It's this, is that when I sin, that sin gets deeper in me. You reap what you sow. You're not an exception. Life is connected. Consequences are real. And appetite are strong. Let me inflame this a little bit because we're looking at one isolated passage in Galatians. And I want to, you know, it's important to interpret Scripture with Scripture. And so not only do you reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow. Going back to an Old Testament prophet, a guy named Hosea, he says this. He talked about a group of people. He said they sow the wind and they reap the whirlwind. And you know that's true in so many ways. You sow the wind. You're not just going to reap the wind at times. You'll reap the wind. But many times over, you'll reap the whirlwind. Jesus taught this about trusting him with that area of our lives that's so difficult. With, he t taught this in Matthew 13, verse 23. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. And this is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. In other words, it's a seed, and a seed's going to grow much more. And that's the truth, folks. You don't just reap what you sow. You reap more than you sow. Is that good or bad? It's both. It's both. Billy Sunday is a former famous major league baseball player 
who went on to be an evangelist and a Bible teacher. And he says that every lap you take around the devil's track, your kids take it seven times. It's common for me to talk to parents who have raised kids and the kids are off at college and the, and the college kids have rejected their faith. But those parents were, they had a little bit of Jesus, a whole lot of materialism, and a half-committed heart. Going to church sporadically when it's convenient, not investing in missions, not getting in a small group, not seeing and ensuring that their kids were actively involved in a student ministry. And then that kid gets to college, and that, that kid concludes that, you know, I, I saw a half-committed, half-hearted, little bit of Jesus, a whole lot of materialism. I saw that growing up, and they conclude that getting up and going to church is not worth it, that living a life of purity in a God-pleasing way in a hostile culture is not worth the hassle. You reap what you sow, and that can multiply. And the consequences to how we live and the decisions we make are really staggering. What seeds are you sowing? Single people. What seeds are you sowing? Preparing yourself for that gift, that life of singleness, or for a future relationship, potentially marriage. Young couples... What decisions will you make? Older couples like me, will we be vulnerable? Will we talk about our parenting mistakes? Will we talk about the seeds that we've sown, the good ones and the bad ones? Will we enlighten and help the young families? Will we help them learn? You reap what you sow. You reap more than you sow. The third thing about sowing is that you, you reap later. You reap later. You reap later than you sow. It's this idea, the law of later. The law of later is the harvest doesn't just readily come. In fact, do you remember this in Galatians 6.10? It's a verse that has been dear to me in the past. It says, do not grow weary of doing good. You will reap a harvest. What if it doesn't feel that way, Robert? What if it doesn't seem that way? What if it's just really, really hard? Don't grow weary. There is the law of later. And it is this idea that we don't, Quick, so quickly see the results that makes us grow weary and makes us want to quit. You jump down and do 30 push-ups and then look in the mirror and you're like looking for some results that aren't going to be there yet, right? I mean, there's going to be some blood that goes to that region, okay? There'll be a little bit of an exaggeration, but you're, you're looking for results. You need to be patient and you need to do those 30 push-ups and maybe do 35 the next day. Maybe add in a couple of other sets and some other things and then be patient. And over time, you know this, you'll see some results, right? Put your hands together. You'll see some triceps like I've got, right? Like you'll see some results, but you need time to see the harvest. You reap what you sow. You reap more than you sow. You reap later. You reap what you sow later. It's the law of later. I was studying this week at a coffee shop, and it occurred to me how often in Scripture we see people, men and women of God, going through a crisis, and the crisis is provoked by them looking at somebody who's sowing seeds of bad or evil, and they seem to be successful. And it's hard for them, as it is us, to see that and believe this principle is true. 
and to question God's goodness in it. But there is the law of later. And here's what Paul says in Galatians 6. If you sow seeds to the flesh, you will reap corruption. If you sow seeds in the Spirit, you reap eternal life and all that goes with that. In the context of this verse, I want to be true to the text and preach it well. And in the context of this verse, you'll see it's the verse I tried to get some of you to say amen in verse 6 about the one who teaches the word, that the one who hears the word ought to share good things with the one who teaches it. And then you see this in the context of Galatians 6, it affects, it talks about our finances. You know this verse, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. It says this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Another verse on this subject. Next. Proverbs 3. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits, not your leftovers, with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Sowing seeds of generosity. Paul is saying here that as we capture our identity in Christ, as we move away from seeking to please others, as we are crucified in Christ and his life lives in us in the power of his spirit. As we said last week, your, what you believe changes how you live and how you live is most seen in your relationships with other people. And you'll, you'll develop a gracious heart and a giving heart. And you begin, some of you know this is true, and that's why it's joyful for you when you hear this. It's joyful for you as it is for Susan and I to know that we give systematically and at times sacrificially, not from leftovers, not if it's convenient, but from the first fruits, from the first fruits. Look at Leviticus 19. It says this, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord, your God. God is saying, Sow seeds of generosity and sacrifice in your life. Leave room in your budget for me. Leave room in your budget to help the poor. Tom Monaghan, I don't know if you're going to recognize the name. I was trying to pronounce the name as I was studying my sermon notes last night, driving back from the coast. I'd done a wedding, and my sermon notes were on the steering wheel of the car. I was trying to practice the name. I'm like, Tom Monaghan, wait, I just married a guy. The groom's name, Brian Monaghan. Easy. Tom Monaghan. He's the founder of Domino's. You can't say pizza. They've changed the name to Domino's. They're so much more than pizza. But Tom Monaghan founded Domino's. And in his story, he says, man, I started this thing and I started out and my goal was to make more money and have more than everyone else. And in due time, I realized how prideful I was and therefore how miserable I had become. And he says, I set a new course. I charted a new destiny. I decided to have a more simple lifestyle. And I adopted this idea of let me think of what we need to live on and everything else will give to the kingdom of God. Everything else goes to him. And he speaks now of his joy, of the decision to leave room for God and to even excel 
in this grace of giving. Years ago when our church was really new, we're still kind of new, but when we were really new, I went to a meeting that interested me. And I went as a lone representative of Fondren Church, and I wish I'd had others with me at the time. They were busy. But I couldn't wait to leave the room because I had heard. I hung out with some folks from St. Dominic's, from, with some nuns and some just sweet people in this room. And they were talking about the Phoenix Initiative. And the Phoenix Initiative is this program that was just starting at the time. To where if you give money, if you sow money, uh, it would be multiplied. It would be doubled. And we learned that if you give $100, St. Dominic's makes it $200. And the money goes to help some families with uh, their homes right here. To renovate some homes and some, I mean, some poorly built, dilapidated homes. Single moms struggling with multiple kids. And God was blessing our church. He still is, I think. He was blessing our church. And I thought, you know, we need to sow. We need to continue to sow. We need to excel in the grace of giving, And I went back and I had a number and I talked to two of our leaders and their number was, was my number. Isn't it cool when it works like that? And we were as a church, this is a God brag, a few years ago we gave $30,000. And when we did St. Dominic's made it $60,000. And $60,000 of your giving went to help some homes and some families right here. Isn't that awesome? Like that can't happen. Without me and you and people like us that say, man, I'm not going to be the dominoes guy. Maybe, maybe not. But I want to I think about that. I want to think about not just increasing my standard of living, but maybe my standard of giving. And I wonder how much joy you'll find. I wonder which lifestyle will win in the end. You reap what you sow. So, what are you sowing? A few things I want to close with, just four points. One, the best time to plant a tree, I said this, is 20 years ago. The second best time is today. If something hurts today, can I tell you, today's a great day to start something new. And His grace abounds in this area. You still may have some consequences to the seeds that you've sown. But forgiveness frees you up. Secondly, it's time to start sowing different seeds so you can reap a different harvest. I pray today that someone will be obedient today. Something's stirring up in you, and this is what you need to do. Different seeds for a different harvest. A farmer never walks out to the field after planting watermelon seeds and says, Look at my pineapple crop. It never happens because you reap what you sow. It's time to sow differently. Third, Shame is an awful change agent. Change comes when you're inspired and nothing inspires more than grace. Don't let a preacher get up in your business too much and shame you. Don't let a parent, don't let a spouse, don't let anybody shame you into change. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance. He's given to you. Fourth and last, what I do with my money doesn't make me a child of God. It just shows me if I really am. What seeds are you sowing? Would you stand with me today? And we're going to conclude our uh, worship by coming to the table, so to speak. Actually, we're not. Well, you're going to stand right there. 
And we have the cups. We have the elements. So what I'd like for you to do is there'll be a little bit of stirring, but you'll see a cup down below your chair if you haven't already observed that. If you hadn't observed it and stepped on it and squished it, God forgives you, but you'll need another. And there are uh, two layers to that cup. You want to go ahead and identify it now. You peel one and you'll see a piece of bread. The second peel will get you into the juice. You know these are uh, earthy, ordinary elements here, store-bought. But it symbolizes something. Just as I stood yesterday in past Christiane and a couple exchanged rings, that, that ring, it's not their love, but it symbolizes their love. And what you have in your hands now represents the body of Christ broken for you. His blood shed for you. And everyone who follows Jesus is worthy because he makes you worthy. If your heart's far from him and if you're riddled with discouragement and doubt, disbelief, you may want to refrain today. But if you're here today saying, I need a Savior. And Jesus is my Savior, then I want you this morning to worship with us. I forgot a cup, so pardon me for a moment. Thank you so much. Lord, we thank you that you who knew no sin became sin for us. Lord, you emptied yourself in the fullness of of your deity as God, you became man and dwelt among us and paid the price for our sin. And while this word can be heavy, this do not be deceived, you are not mocked, we reap what we sow. Lord, I pray that as we worship now in communion with these elements, Lord, that we could be free knowing that we're forgiven. And the pain and the consequence that we've caused for our sin that we experience today, Lord, can be comforted by the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort. Receive our worship in Jesus. And so now as you take the bread, Christ's body broken for you. Christ's blood shed.